0: Well, it is a blessing to be with y'all and to just celebrate uh, this Resurrection Day. As we get started I want to begin with uh, just a word of thanksgiving as well. We had an incredible sunrise service this morning and we had about 80 people that showed up for that and we were outside with Jack the donkey and uh, uh, actually I think he probably listened better than every other person there. As soon as I got done preaching, he started making all these really loud noises, and apparently he really enjoyed it. So (laughs) nobody else did, but the donkey did, so we're good. Uh, My kids also reminded me that it was two years ago for Easter that we came for our sunrise service, had a great service, and then we decided to drive home because we had a little time between services, and I ran over a rabbit. And on my way home, I hear in the back seat... I bet that was the Easter bunny. (laughs) We did not run over any bunnies this morning, so it it was a good day, and we appreciate you guys praying that I don't hit any Easter bunnies. So, It is a privilege to be able to worship with you and to be able to celebrate this Resurrection Day because truly that's the only reason we have to get up in the morning is to know that there is a hope beyond what we have already experienced, to know that when this life is over, there is something else to look forward to, that this is not all there is. There is a reason for us to rejoice today, and it is because Jesus Christ not only was willing to die for us, but three days later, he was resurrected again to life. And today, we do celebrate that. Pastor Josh read from verses 11 through 18 of John chapter 20. This morning we looked at verses 1 through 10, and as we look in this entire chapter, what we see is an incredible turn of events that has taken place. What we see is a group of individuals, specifically one initially, but then a group of individuals, that their night turns into day. Their sorrow turns into joy I want to read one last time for you, even though Josh has already read it, verses 11 through 18 of John chapter 20. It says, now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, as we come before you, I pray that the word which has been read would now come alive in our hearts. I pray that you would help us to recognize how this meets us exactly where we are today. In Christ's name we pray, amen. You know, Hollywood has portrayed numerous examples of people who were thought to be dead, only to find out afterwards that they were still alive. My mind immediately goes back to one of the movies in the Indiana Jones series where he appears to have driven off a cliff to his death. His father and eventual wife are seen weeping over his death. They're expressing how much they loved him. They are expressing their grief as he walks up behind them. Apparently, he had escaped the vehicle prior to it going over the cliff. They thought he was dead, only to find out that he was really alive. Other examples include the supposed death of Harry Potter and various superheroes who were believed to be dead, yet were still alive. But there are also those in real life who were assumed to be dead only to find out later that a mistake had been made. I found a website this week that listed 16 individuals from around the world who were believed to be dead, and were sent to the morgue either for autopsy, cremation or burial, only to have them wake up surrounded by dead bodies. Now, before you say, well, I'm sure that happens in other places, two of the 16 were in the United States. That tells me that it probably could happen. How would you like to be the guy working security when a body bag starts to move? Or you begin to hear voices and you think to yourself, am I going crazy? One of the things I found interesting as I read those articles, they were talking about the security guards having to go and let them out as they're banging on the doors inside the morgue. Why would you put a lock to where people can't get out of of a morgue? I I don't understand that. Of course, in each of those situations, while the night night watchman may have needed to be revived, there were likely others who rejoiced over the unexpected turn of of events. Imagine family members who were preparing for a funeral and they hear a knock at the door. Honey, I'm home. (laughs) Their moment of sorrow would immediately turn to a moment of incredible celebration. You know, the Bible tells of such situations of course, all of us are familiar with the story of Lazarus and his resurrection, but the truth is he wasn't the first one to be resurrected, nor would he be the last. First and Second Kings both tell stories of Elijah and Elisha raising young boys, sons, back to life. Imagine the joy that those mothers experienced having their boys back again. 2 Kings chapter 13 tells the story of a man who was in the process of being buried. As his family was burying them, they see a Moabite raiding party that is coming their way. And they randomly toss their loved one into a tomb which held the body of Elisha. As his body touches the bones of Elisha, the man is restored to life. Surprise! (laughs) But that is nothing compared to what happened when Jesus died. Listen to what happened in Matthew 27. I know we just read from John 20. Listen to what happened in Matthew 27, verse 51 through 53. Just as Jesus breathes his very last breath, at that moment the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, and the tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. Can you imagine? The surprise of an entire city. As people you just buried a few days ago or maybe even a few weeks ago start showing up in the marketplace or maybe even to church on Sunday, I would imagine if we did that, we might have to do a few extra funerals because other people are having heart attacks. I remember attending a visitation many years ago. That's kind of like a wake. Sometimes you use different terms for it. I remember attending a visitation many years ago with a pastor that I grew up with. There was a lady standing over the deceased individual talking to the individual. Apparently, she had placed her hand over top of the hand of the deceased individual, and we're watching, and all of a sudden, from the way it looked, it looked like it was his hand. But all of a sudden, you see the hand starting to do that. And truthfully, it got a little bit creepy. I remember doing a a funeral several years ago, and the family asked us to play the song, Arise, My Love. It is a great Easter song. It is not a great funeral song. It says, Arise, my love, arise, my love, the grave no longer has a hold on you. Well, as the song is played, you're almost looking down, waiting to see if anybody's moving see if the guy's getting up. Well, the truth is that we will all have to deal with death at some point or another. It will either be us or it will be someone that we love. And even if you're one of the lucky ones that is able to avoid death for a long time, there will absolutely be difficulty. It's just a part of life. We live in a broken world where bad things happen. This week alone, I've been able to minister to one individual who is in need of a pacemaker. Another having her gallbladder removed. Another dealing with with the effects of a fall. These are just normal individuals who are experiencing junk in their lives. You know, always in the midst of our junk, in the midst of our despair, God is very much present. The question is whether we will recognize his presence or not. In today's passage, we see Mary in a moment of despair. In the preceding days, she has watched as her world has been turned upside down. In fact, at one moment, and I talked a little bit about this in the sunrise service, at one moment, Jesus is being celebrated. People are rejoicing over who he is, and it seems almost impossible that things could change as much as they did during that really five-day period of time. Jesus goes from being loved to being hated. Part of it's because of things he did. He went into the temple and turned over the tables of the money changers. You think the money changers like that? Probably not. There were many things that Jesus said that sometimes rubbed people the wrong way. He encouraged the disciples. He encouraged his followers, don't be like the teachers of the law. Well, do you think the teachers of the law liked hearing that? The reality was that Jesus was one who was celebrated, and in just a, sh- a few short days, Jesus is crucified. On Thursday, Jesus is arrested. On Friday, he is killed. On Saturday, a day of rest and worship for the Jewish people. It became a day of deep sorrow and mourning. When they wake up on Sunday, there's really not much hope that it will be any different. Very early in the morning, Mary set out for the tomb where Jesus had been buried. It had been a rush burial on Friday, trying to get things done as much as they could before the, the day of worship, before the Sabbath took place, recognizing that basically at sundown you had to be done. So she comes back on Sunday wanting to give a proper burial. But as she arrives at the tomb, she found the unexpected. Jesus was gone. Now, even though I told you resurrections had happened in Scripture, the resurrection of Christ was likely one of the few things that Mary had not even thought about at this moment. Instead, she immediately seeks help to find his body. She goes back to the other disciples. This is in verses 1 through 10. She goes back to the other disciples, gets Peter and John, tells them, hey, someone has come. They have stolen the body of Jesus. Peter and John take off running as fast as they can. Basically, a foot race takes place, and they get to the tomb. And sure enough, she's right. Jesus is gone. They sit there, and they ponder. We're told that John begins to believe. But immediately after it says, but the disciples still didn't understand that this had to take place, that the resurrection was exactly what the scriptures had taught. Being the gentlemen that they are, Peter and John go home. And on this morning where Mary found herself at the tomb, all by herself, she now finds herself once again at the tomb, all by herself. By herself. But this time she discovers that she's not really alone. Initially, she discovers two angels who perhaps she initially believes to be ordinary men. Distraught with sorrow, she is weeping inconsolably. So the angel asks her, Woman, why are you crying? Her response is likely far less polished than what we see here in the scripture. Her sorrow is evident in every syllable that she would utter. Although the passage tells us that she responds with, they have taken my Lord away and I don't know where they have put him. My guess is that it sounded more like... Every word mixed with snot and gushing tears... I picture her being so distraught that she was unable to even catch her breath. You guys know how it sounds when you cry uncontrollably and you're trying, <laughs> you're trying so hard to express yourself, but you don't know how. I imagine that was her. Suddenly, she looks over her shoulder and she realizes there's someone else in the room, too. And maybe because it sounded like gibberish to to the individual listening, or maybe just because he was full of compassion for Mary, this individual begins with the exact same question that the angels have just asked. Woman, why are you crying? He then follows up this question with, who is it that you are looking for? Well, she is clueless as to who she is speaking with at this moment. In this moment, all she can see is her grief. With her eyes filled with tears, she assumes that he must be the gardener. And she basically says, if you're the one who's taking him, just tell me where he is and and I'll go get him. Then I picture a pause. Not because he was somehow disappointed with her response, but rather... He appreciated her love and her passion to find Jesus. Perhaps with a smile on his face, maybe even with a few tears out of his own eyes, this supposed gardener says, Mary, nothing else. He doesn't explain what's going on. He doesn't try to console her other than to call her by name. But suddenly it clicks. Maybe it was his voice. Maybe it was the fact that he called her by name. But she realizes that this is no ordinary gardener. He doesn't work here. This is the resurrected Christ, the very same individual that I came to see almost in a state of shock. Immediately, her mourning turns into dancing. The scriptures tell us that though the sorrow may last for the night, joy cometh in the morning. Well, that is exactly what Mary experiences in that moment. She immediately runs and wraps her arms around Jesus. He's back. What a day this must have been for her. One of the worst days of her life has just turned into the greatest moment ever in history. You know, there's a part of me that can very easily connect with Mary. In her moment of despair... Jesus was absolutely there with her. She just didn't realize it. How many times have we felt despair, assuming that we were all alone, never realizing that we were never alone? My mind goes back to the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in Daniel chapter 3. In their instance... These faithful servants of God are being punished primarily because they have done nothing more than worship their God faithfully. They've been told that when they hear all kinds of musical instruments that they are to stop whatever they're doing, to stop and bow down and worship an image of gold. But these three individuals have determined that no matter what happens, they will not worship anybody except the one true living God. As they are called out on this, they respond to the king. They respond with a sense of confidence. It's not really arrogance, but it is confidence. They declare openly, I know that my God is able to save us. But even if he does not, O king, we will not bow down and worship your image of gold. Within this statement, they recognize there is something to be saved from. They recognize that there is a punishment. They're about to be thrown into a fiery furnace. And they would really like it if God would step in and intervene. But even if he does not, it's going to be okay. Because we're still not doing it. It's interesting. In that particular story, King Nebuchadnezzar does get mad and he does throw them into the fire. But after a few moments, we're told that the king looks into the fire. If he's like me, man, I love a good fire. I can sit in front of the fire. My eyes are drawn to it. Like I, I, there could be a world going on, a, a disaster going on around me in the world, and I would be oblivious to it because I'm focused on that fire. It's just, I don't know, it's just one of those things that happens. I picture Nebuchadnezzar. Looking into this fire almost with a sense of arrogance, I can't believe those people did that. That'll teach them they'll never do that again. But as he looks into the fire, he suddenly jumps to his feet and he says, Wait a minute, didn't we throw three men into the fire? Of course, his advisors are saying, You might be sitting too close to the fire. You know how many people we sent into the fire. He said, But look. I see four men walking around in the fire, and the fourth one looks like a son of the gods. Now, as those who believe in one son of God, we believe that the one who was in the fire with him was God himself. It was Jesus Christ there in their midst. I will tell you that sometimes being thrown into the fire is a very uncomfortable, unhappy place to be. But often it is in the midst of the fire that we experience God most intimately. As one who has been in the fire, one who has walked through the death of a loved one, and personally experienced a sense of despair, I can confirm to you today that God is there for you regardless of what you face. He will be there in the fire. We may not always recognize him right away, but he is there. Make no mistake, I have no judgment for those who are hurting. My heart breaks for you. But in this moment, I invite you to look for God's presence, his faithfulness through despair. It may be that in this time of sorrow or hardship that you may experience him more intimately than you ever have before. This doesn't mean that he caused this pain to happen so that you would recognize him. It doesn't mean that he was less real when things weren't going so poorly in your life. It just means that sometimes in the midst of our sorrow, it is easier to recognize the embrace of the one who loves us most dearly. Well, the beauty of this story is that we see not only that Jesus is present in the midst of our despair, But we also see that his presence truly does change everything. 2 Kings chapter 6 tells a great story about Elisha. Remember Elijah and Elisha, two prophets, similar names, similar power of God that worked in both of their lives. The king of Aram has been sent out, or he has sent out men to capture Elisha, sending a mighty army to bring back one man but not just any man. This man was viewed even by the enemies of God's people as a powerful prophet of a powerful God. Look at what happens in Second Kings chapter 6, verse 15 to 17. When the servant of the man of God, that would be the servant of Elisha, got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh no, my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed, open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. Talking about the servant of the Lord. Basically, he's praying for his servant to be able to see the same thing that Elisha could see in that moment. It says, Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Sure, there was this great army that was there to capture Elisha, but God was not surprised by that. God was there. It was simply the fact that the servant didn't realize God's presence. God would deliver Elisha that day, but that was never in doubt for Elisha. It's because he could see what others could not. His servant looked upon the many soldiers and horses and chariots, and he was filled with fears because he didn't realize that God was already present and working on Elisha's behalf. Know that the presence of God in your life will not mean the absence of trouble, but what it does mean is that regardless of the trouble, you can make it. The junk that you experience today, the things that will come your way, the unexpected things that you never would have imagined happening, they will never ever catch God by surprise. He knows, and He will be with you. He's promised us he would never leave us nor forsake us, and he will keep that promise. In Mary's case, she can barely contain herself. She wraps her arms around Jesus, and he has to tell her not to hold on to him. It's not that he didn't want her touching touching him. It almost gives me this idea that she grabbed hold, and she simply didn't want to let go. Can you blame her? Mary thought Jesus was gone. She saw him die. She knew that the story had ended. Now she just wanted to hold on. But Jesus had work left to be done. So did Mary. The work that remained for her was to go and tell. There were many who had told the good news before. John the Baptist, for example, told the good news of one who was coming after him. Shepherds told the good news of angels who appeared to them and told them of a Savior that was being born in Bethlehem. A Samaritan woman told the good news of a man who spoke with wisdom and grace, knowing everything about her. Yet on this occasion, Mary is instructed to go and share the greatest news anybody had ever received. Jesus, the one who was crucified, is alive again. And all of the things that he had talked about, they're back on the table. There is hope for humanity. Today we are tasked with the exact same job that Mary had. We get to be the bearers of hope to those who need hope. Just as she brought hope to the disciples that day, we are surrounded by a world of people who desperately need to know that the story isn't over yet. Jesus is alive and well, and no matter how broken we have been, there is healing and there is hope in Jesus Christ. You know, I saw a video clip not that long ago that is somewhat graphic, and I was a little bit hesitant to show it simply because of some of the graphic nature. It comes from a movie that's called Hacksaw Ridge. Perhaps many of you have seen the movie. It is a true story about a soldier who refused to carry a weapon yet he had an incredible impact on his fellow soldiers. I want you to see just a brief clip from that movie for just a moment. It's a true story of a man who had the opportunity to bring hope and safety to those who desperately needed it. You have the same opportunity. Yours may be different. There's no question we're not on a hill called Hacksaw Ridge and we're not in the midst of a physical violent war that is taking place, but there is a war that takes place. We do not battle against flesh and blood, but there is a spiritual battle that does take place and you have the opportunity and the privilege to bring others to hope and safety. Know that your calling is not to tell everybody Jesus was very specific with Mary as to whom she should go and tell. She was to go and tell Jesus' brothers, the disciples. Maybe eventually God will call you to go into the entire world and tell everybody. That would be a call that eventually Jesus would extend. But with Mary on this day, the call is go and tell my brothers that I am alive Who is the one person in your life that needs to know of the resurrected Christ? Who is the one person that God is calling you to go and share the good news of Jesus Christ with today? I told you earlier that my hope would be that this service would be more than a celebration of a historical event that took place 2,000 years ago. And I meant that. What I really desire is that this would be something that would change who we are. Well, what if the resurrection of Christ could change who you were and then you could somehow bring that same hope to other people who may be broken in your own life? Lord, help me get one more. Help me get one more. Easter was the day that Mary went from being a broken and distraught woman to becoming one of the greatest evangelists, sharing the greatest news ever with a few men who would then be used to change the world. We look at Peter and John and we think about the incredible impact that they would make and they would be incredible ministers of the gospel. On the day of Pentecost, it would be Peter who would stand up and proclaim that Jesus Christ has been crucified, he has been resurrected, and all of us can be redeemed. Thousands of people would give their hearts to Christ. And you look at that and you say, wow, he was really important. But God chose Mary to be the one to tell him. Maybe you look at your life and you say, I'm not really all that significant. I'm not all that important. And I suggest to you today that what God can do through you can be far greater than you could ever imagine. Maybe there's someone else out there, and they're more gifted, and they could do incredible things, but maybe what they need is someone like you to simply love on them and to show them the love of Jesus Christ and to invite them into this incredible grace that God has offered to them. You say, well, that's only one person. It's not going to make that big a difference. I'm going to tell you it does. I remember several years ago, I referenced him earlier. The pastor that I grew up under was an incredible man of God. His name was Reverend Charles Beach. I do think he made a poor choice in naming his daughter. He named her Sandy. Sandy Beach. Come on, seriously? Reverend Charles Beach was an incredible man of God. He served in the same church for, I think, 25 years. The church never really exploded with growth or anything like that. I don't know that we ever had more than 100 people in church on any given Sunday. And I remember sitting in a service one day, and this was long after, I'm, I'm a pastor now, and I remember sitting in a service one day, and I remember the pastor talking about the value of telling people, thank you. I went home, and this was before the days of email, I went home and I decided I needed to write a letter to Reverend Beach. And I sent him this letter, and it simply said, thank you. I said, you may not realize how big a difference your ministry made. I mean, the reality was it just felt like you never really reached a large number of people. What good was that ministry? So I began to note different things that had happened in my ministry, where I'd had the privilege of preaching as an evangelist to thousands of people, seen probably about At that point, it was at least a dozen of my kids who were now in ministry serving as an extension of what I had done, which was an extension of what he had done. I had several hundred people who had given their hearts to Christ. I said, do you understand that if you didn't do your job as well as you did, none of those other things would have happened? You see, in a way, Reverend Beach was married. He had a job to do, and so do you. And what God chooses to do through that is completely up to him. But I want to challenge you today. Maybe you feel small and insignificant, but God can do great things in you if you will allow him to do so. I'm going to ask everyone to bow your heads and close your eyes with me. It is possible today, with every head bowed and eye closed, it is possible today that there may be someone here who has come simply out of obligation because this is Easter and I'm supposed to be in church. Maybe you've shown up to the tomb. Maybe you've shown up to the service thinking that it's just a ritual, just a routine. But God wants to show you something greater. Maybe today you need to understand that Jesus Christ is alive. Maybe today you need to surrender your life to him and to begin all over. If so, I want to give you the opportunity to do that. Maybe today there are some of you here who, as I've shared, you've recognized there are people in your life who need to hear the truth. And God has called you to do it. I want to give you the opportunity to respond. And what I'm simply going to do, I'm not going to ask everybody to come forward. Maybe today you felt convicted and you need a relationship with Jesus Christ. If that's you, I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand. You don't have to come forward, but I want to be able to pray with you that you would be able to receive this gift of salvation that Jesus Christ alone can offer. Is there anyone who would like to ask Christ into their heart today? Maybe there are others that would like to be able to pray specifically that God would use you to reach certain individuals in your life. Would you raise your hand real quick if that's you? Father, as we come before you today, for the many hands that were just raised, I pray that your Holy Spirit would come upon each one and that you would make us like Mary, so passionately in love with our god that we don't even want to let you go but also willing to go and to tell whomever it is that needs to hear the good news of christ for the individuals that are already popping up in individuals minds Lord, i pray that you would begin to prepare hearts I pray that you would move us so that we would be willing to speak when you call us to speak. I pray that you would give us the words to speak. And I pray that as those words are spoken, that we would be able to get out of the way and simply allow your spirit to then work in the hearts and the minds of those who would receive it. But I pray that we would become world changers much like Mary did much like Peter and John did. Lord, I pray that you would allow the resurrection to become so real in us that we could never be the way we once were. Father, we come before you today grateful for the resurrection. We simply ask that you would help us right now to allow the resurrection to become a part of everything we say and do. We praise you today.